Welcome and thank you for listening to the podcast from Chapeau Claudette, also known as AKA Claudette. This is the podcast titled Life is a Hat Party because we all wear a lot of different hats. And so let's enjoy those hats as I share with you my stories about taking care of my mother with dementia, about the climate change, and anything that strikes my fancy. Life is a hat party. Get your head in gear. Life is a hat party, so have no fear. Life is a hat party. Let your mind escape. Life is a hat party. Let your crown take shape. Let your crown take shape, everybody, and thanks for listening. Welcome to episode 93 of Life is a Hat Party. It's been bloody ages since I have made a podcast here because I have another podcast called Where the Heavenly Bodies Are, Sky Astrology. And also because, um, of course, this was the main podcast about wearing too many hats and taking care of my mother with Alzheimer's. And she passed two years ago, and I've been dealing with, actually, these feelings of grief, sometimes not so well, to be honest, as my dad also passed uh, two weeks apart from her death so um and as only child I did struggle with not acknowledging that it would be a change for me but recently um slowly been able to revisit our relationship especially in these times because I am grateful for my mother and my father for giving me, I believe, the tools that were integral to their self-worth and the best that they knew at that time wasn't really believing in the narrative which is a good thing, I believe, in the so-called narrative that says you have to do X, Y, Z. Otherwise, you know, I'm not going to support you. So that wasn't the dialogue my parents used. And my mother, who grew up in Alabama and had to sit at the back of the bus and went to rejoin her mother at year at her 13th year from living on a farm previously in Alabama and then went to the city at 13 and started working as an au pair for a Jewish woman who more or less was kind of a surrogate adoptive mother to my mother and refused to be sit in the back when she would enter a restaurant with my mother was really uh, made a real impression on my mother and for what she wanted for me. And so even though she 
grew up in the South, but she grew up with also a very good role model of her uncle and his wife. And she had this strong sense of entitlement. And that was what she passed on to me. At the same time, she had the practical uh, work ethic and worked, you know, 24-7, more or less all her life. She worked since she was 13 and came to Philadelphia. And my dad, on the other hand, also had, you know, began with a strong work ethic and uh, was born in Pittsburgh, but he um, was in the army and in the marines and traveled to europe and loved jazz and was a jazz promoter in new york and was really free but he before that he was always a good salesman and he worked for a company called royal crown maybe they still exist and he had the biggest sales on the East Coast and in Canada. I used to drive with him. I remember sitting in the car next to him, counting the money over, you know, say 50 years ago. And he told me that once they came and they gave him a partner that he was supposed to train. The partner was Caucasian. And after the training was over, they gave this Caucasian all my dad's accounts. And my dad immediately stopped working and he said, I'm not working for the white man anymore. And he just was a hustler, really, you know, hustled any a lot of things, legal and illegal, nothing heavy, you know, just marijuana, but, you know, had restaurants and, you know, was a... Uh, construction worker had bought the houses they were giving for one dollar at that time was learning to renovate them all kinds of things but um, in the end I have to say that I'm grateful for that picture of um, you know role models that they gave me and this gave me my entitled I think my entitled opinion and my entitled uh, perspective about how I go forth in this world. At the same time, I have to address what's really pressing at the moment, what's really going on, and I'm entitled this, why I'm no longer talking to African Americans about racism. And I want to first say that the reason that I said that is because of the book entitled Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. And this book is um, the first bestseller by a woman of color. Her name is Rennie Edo Lodge. And because due to kind of (laughs) a series of events from the broadcasting of 
George Floyd's murder and then the demonstrations that started with the hashtag Black Lives Matter. I can't believe all these things. I feel that it's my responsibility to address what how I feel about racism because the discussion at the moment is quite inspiring. You know, people of all colors are really having intelligent discussions about race and I am inspired by that. So I've always had a kind of off-center view that it's not easy to share, but I'm going to (laughs) jump over my own uh, shadow and share it, mostly because of the change of profession that I've had since the last few years. I've been working as a sky astrologer just recently in the last six months. I've had um, kind of more or less somewhat regular students, I call them, instead of clients, where I teach what it, how to reconnect yourself to the sky. And it's based on astronomy, and it's what I learned when stargazing in Egypt. And it's helped so many people within the group that I'm with. And... is also connecting me and realizing these two kind of perspective about life in general, which is one, the spiritual connection, and the other, the material. And, you know, this is so poignant because... I believe that it's, if you really want to have, you know, life-changing perspective, world perspective changes about something so fundamental about race or people, then I think you need a very broad spectrum of um, information to talk about it, or at least if you're talking about a specific one. I think it's only fair to include all the points that make up the whole. So why I say this is to say that I was brought up basically not to think that my color was a problem. And when I first encountered, which was quite a few times, I want to share them because I think it's important. The first time I remembered of course was when we moved out of the neighborhood of mostly um, people of color into the suburbs because my mother wanted me to have the best education which was where the taxes were higher for the houses were more expensive where mostly uh, Caucasians lived 93% I believe or 95% and only 2% black and really basically in this area two streets maybe actually four streets and I think most of them had churches on them and these streets were where the black people lived but we didn't live there 
my mother took a leap of faith instead of sending me actually away to a boarding school in Seattle or California, Colorado, which she had researched. I begged her actually to say that she was regularly making the money that she actually did regularly make, but she was making it based on overtime, not on the base salary. In any event, thanks to a reference, uh, a tip from a German um, old pair where we lived in Winfield, also in the area where Will Smith grew up. It's a little bit outside of the of the city, but nonetheless, it was still an inner city school. We moved to Bryn Mawr, which is where the Philadelphia story is made and a very well-known um, exclusive part of Pennsylvania and even America, to say that. And so back to when I first had uh, to encounter racism or when someone hurt my feelings because of the way I looked was when my mother had cornrowed my hair and you got on the bus in the morning. It's like to get on the bus, getting on the bus was like getting on the runway. <laughs> like Especially if you didn't have loads of people on your bus stop. So if you had just one or two people or even if you were the only person, it is like a fashion runway. You could get on and you have to walk down that aisle by yourself until you find a seat. So when I was making my little <laughs> runway entrance on the school bus, people, some mostly guys, young lads, I was maybe 10 or 12, said, um, how are your crops doing today? And they were referring to my hair, to my cornrows. And I remember coming home in tears because that would happen on the way home as well as I left the runway <laughs> getting off on, my, on the bus stop. I actually think I remember even trying to get on the bus really early so I wouldn't have to walk the runway three times. In any event, my mother said, listen, if people have a problem with the way you look, it is because of their own insecurity, their own psychological problems. My mother was a big fan of reading Psychology Today and I remember it always coming in the post and she reading it in her spare time which wasn't a lot of time between working two jobs and overtime. The second event was I have you know really tight-knit group of friends and one friend that I still have dear had invited me to the country club and we were playing tennis uh, it was quite dark. We were there late. We were having fun. Uh, maybe I was 13 or 14. And we heard some older people coming. And one of them said, what's that in doing here? I don't have to say the word because I find it really derogatory. And I don't like it when it's moved, used in rap song. I don't like it used at all which kind of prompted me to say why I no longer need to talk to African-Americans about racism. And I'll get to that why, but that is one of the reasons why. It's the use of using language that is rooted in 
the history in a small part of our history in this Americas that was a spell to keep us thinking that we were what the Constitution said we were, which was three-fifths of a human. So those were like really the two kind of poignant um, times that I encountered racism. And I think, and I'm pretty sure that because my mother had told me it was their problem, I remember immediately if something came my way where it could have been racism or somebody was saying, I immediately had this kind of (laughs) waxing kind of effect like, oh, that's their problem. Oh, I actually remember feeling sorry for them. And just went on with my life. So I was quite oblivious, I have to say, to racism per se. And, you know, I kind of lived my life just la 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 la, not really understanding or feeling oppressed by it. Um, I have to say that changed when I moved to Europe. And I was in Berlin and I was in Stuttgart. And I remember feeling like, why are people staring at me? There are other, um, you know, people of color from the army here. I was not with the army. I left with the boyfriend I left, met in New York. And I just felt, I remember feeling like, is my blouse open? Like, why are people staring at me like they are staring at me? And I was wondering, is it because... They're not used to see someone who's not from the military or walking freely without a uniform or whatever, you know, like myself. Also, I mean, probably because I used to wear my hair up. So, you know, straight up like kind of Don King, they used to call me his daughter, weirdly enough. Anyway, I don't want to digress. The reason I'm coming here now is because... With my work with Sky Astrology, with my realization and my um, proof of knowing that my soul had a very long journey, actually, you know, from the 1500s, from Italy, from a woman called Isabella Adriani, and then in the 1900s in Berlin from... Charlotte Sullivan, which is a well-known painter, that I know that these are part of my soul. And this is, you could say, part of my spirituality. And this is a spirituality that people don't accept. Uh, It's also a part that where, you know, it's said that the church took out this part of of reincarnation from the Bible but a lot of people believe in reincarnation and like I say I didn't until I found actual mathematical proof of it and I find that the reason why we don't understand this whole concept or we have this the whole concept that race is a made-up illusion because the spiritual rim, and this doesn't come into play, you know, when people are talking about it. Because a lot of people of color have been brought up 
to think now um, that they're free or they can do what they want. They want to do exactly as the Caucasians do. And I believe that is why we have the situation we have now. Because, uh, you know, the reason why uh, people of color have done actually so well considering 400 years or, you know, how many you want to count it, but it wasn't as long as the Second World War Holocaust where people are still, you know, talking about Jewish religion, that people don't uh, celebrate more what we as people of color are contributing to society and it is everywhere with soul music with food with fashion with so many things and these things may be because of um not being uh supported and i have to say by each other like a lot of um, cultures do. And that is because of the nature of the enslavement. How the hair was cut because actually your hairstyle would help you recognize which tribe you were from. How you weren't allowed to speak your language when you came over from uh, Africa how you were not allowed to read. All these things were systematically put into place to break that person and to divorce them from their culture that they had at home, their way of life that had a history. And of course, most of the stories at these times were oral stories. And so that ability to orally tell the stories and relay the culture was lost and so now we have African Americans who are mixed not only with uh, Caucasian indigenous uh, uh, people's uh, blood but also different African countries uh, culture and blood and DNA and so first to recognize the facts of this is I believe a new starting point and then maybe we don't have to be minimalized as a description of quote unquote black because that is so non-descriptive about the richness of the African-American. I truly believe that the African-American is abundantly rich in uh, spirit and uh, surviving the traumas that now scientists say can be linked to DNA 
but overcoming those things. And yes, there are those that are struggling and there is rife. But you know, when you look at history, a lot of those times are systematic uh, racism. So it's not 100% people, normal, you know, friends and, you know, people of color. It is the laws. And I won't go on too long, but what I want to say is I believe a real way to start to repair this inequality and not base it on the color is to talk about how to educate about the history, your history, your DNA, and where you what really makes up your um, background because this is loss and this is a missing pink, missing link to the heritage. I was lucky because I do know uh, from my father's side uh, what the nationality is and it does make a difference. It makes a difference and even if it doesn't make a difference, the fact that that was taken from you should make a difference because that is part of your culture. Your culture is not only how you shuckled and jived to keep yourself alive and keep yourself um, in the eyes of the oppressors during slavery and even now. No, it is a rich African history of the oldest continent yeah and so I just wanted to say I am a firm believer in talking about reparations because and this is really because when I lived in Germany and I was there when the wall fell down 1989 and when it fell down um, the people from East Berlin whose money was totally devalued, I think it was less than 1 to 10 or 1 to 20, I don't remember. I used to go to East Berlin and buy amazing photography paper with silver in it, really cheap, and Zeitz lenses, and everything was super cheap because it was so devalued. But when the reunification came, the people of the East Berlin were allowed to take their savings and equate it to West German money and this helped them first to kind of have a level playing ground there was still something which I really kind of resonated with a word called Nachholbedarf Nachholbedarf it's um after uh, holding um, allowed you're allowed to get something yeah and you need to get something and it was also like this catch-up mentality because they wanted to have a life like everybody else had yesterday because they had suffered for so long not having these basic freedoms they were even more hungry to have those freedoms immediately and it was a struggle and there was a time, but it was helped by these kind of um, uh, possibilities for people to help them. 
and for the government to help them. And I remember people used to make fun of East Germans because of the communist system when they would work like on building sites, it was a big thing. They would work on building sites, and when they finished the job, they would just wait around and talk and stuff because they're very sociable people because they did not talk on the phone because of the KGB. And construction workers would be really upset, like, they're not working, they're not working, because they are used, you know, they were used to, like, just be told do one job and, and go home or whatever. And so... You know, there was this kind of thing that, that, you know, hinting maybe they were lazy or something like that, you know. And people have to, you know, understand that because of those different systems, you know, to acknowledge why in Africa it's hot crazy, you know. And people don't work a lot in the daytime. You know, they might work more at night. It's just not healthy to work in the heat, in the hot heat. And can you imagine, you know, coming over to... Americas and of course working in the south but you know changing that whole system and going you know having to deal with those changes of culture changes of rhythm and everything that really slowly they were forgotten and I believe the African-American is what it says on the tin it is American and African and America has a not so nice past. Let's just tell it what it is. Cowboys and Indians stories, you know, going out to the wild, wild west. It's so glorified about how, you know, Europeans were allowed to take land from people who were living there. And so, you know, to have a real, honest soul bearing spiritual connection to the story is so much more rewarding than to have a conversation about race and this is why I am no longer talking to African Americans about racism because spiritually racism is an illusion and the way of life or the places you want to excel to um, at the top of capitalist society is the same society that is spiritually poor and part of our problem with climate change, part of the 1% and the 99%. And so let's open our eyes and ask who do we really want to be and do we have to wait for somebody to give us these rights? Because I, my, in my humble opinion, we have them within. Thank you for listening.